Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. We hope that it will encourage you as you seek to follow God and grow in your faith. If you would like to know more about our church, you can check us out at www.ritmangrace.org or feel free to email us at ritmangbc at aol.com. But for right now, let's get into today's message. Good morning and Merry Christmas, Ritman Grace Brethren Church. My name is Clark and I'm the pastor here at Ritman Grace. If we've never met before, I would love to meet you. Come stop in sometime on our in-person weekend service. I'd love to meet you, get to know you a little bit. Well, we are gonna be concluding our Advent series that we started a few weeks back titled God With Us. And we are coming to the end here on Christmas Day. How epic is that? I've noticed something in terms of Christmas. I've noticed that Christmas means so many things to so many different people. For some of us, Christmas is a time about giving. And some of you are very, very generous. You're a giving person. You spend all your money on buying things for other people. You love to give your time. Uh, You love to give gifts to people. Uh, Maybe for you, When you get that Christmas bonus, you immediately think to yourself, okay, how can I use this bonus to bless somebody? Because that's something that you really love to do. Maybe that's you. Others of us, we're not so much on the giving end so much, but maybe we're on the the getting end. Others of us, we really just like to get. And I'll admit it, I like to get things too. Back in the day when you were a kid, perhaps, Christmas was about waking up and running downstairs to the Christmas tree, opening up gifts. And that was a good moment, right? And when you get older, you realize the things that you're getting are a lot like uh, gift cards to McDonald's, which is also good. Not going to say anything bad about that. For some of us, we like Christmas because of white elephant gift exchange. I once heard of a guy, believe it or not, who gifted a live lobster in a box. I mean, how crazy would that be, right? To get a live lobster in a box. No, thank you. For some of us, Christmas is all about watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation over and over and over again. But newsflash, Christmas is actually about Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus. This morning, what we're going to do is look at a passage in the Old Testament that points us to Jesus. Isaiah chapter nine, as you're turning there, if you have a Bible, feel free to turn there with me. I think it's important to remind everyone that what happened in the manger, the birth of Jesus, that was a fulfillment. It was a fulfillment of many, many prophecies in the Old Testament, and they were dead on. This morning, what we are going to do is look at one of those passages in Isaiah chapter 9. So I want to invite you to turn there with me. And as you're turning there, also good to remember that 750 years before Jesus was born in a stable in the New Testament, you have this story, this story in Isaiah chapter 9 unfolding right before the eyes of the reader. At this time, there is a dominant force rising to power in the Middle East by the name of Assyria. All of the nations in the Middle East, they were getting really uptight about Assyria's rise to power. And the same would be true today. When a nation begins to rise in power, they begin to get more weapons and people around them start getting nervous. 
And you can see that all throughout the world, that stuff like that still happens today. So what did they do? They formed a network. They formed an alliance. And they said, hey, we'll team up. They wanted Jerusalem's king, a guy by the name of King Ahaz, in on that. And King Ahaz, not a good guy, by the way, uh, not the type of king that God's people had always wanted. But Ahaz did not want to get in on this alliance. And why is that? Well, because he had personality clashes with other leaders. So Ahaz is not sure what, to, what he should do. And the other nations are threatening to invade Jerusalem. So the armies start putting together plans to invade Ahaz. Ahaz knows that his power, that his authority, and that his identity, all of that is on the line. Assyria comes to Ahaz and offers protection if he joins forces with them. And Ahaz has no clue what to do. So what does God do? Well, here's the context of Isaiah chapter 9. God sends Isaiah, his messenger, to Ahaz, who, again, is not a good guy. He tells him, don't join either side. God will protect you. So Ahaz is nervous. Isaiah falls on his face and he says, listen, I will give you a sign. Isaiah, because he's a prophet proclaiming God's word to God's people, he tells him about this sign in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, remember, Ahaz's predicament here. Ahaz is basically like, seriously, a child, really? No armies, no bow and arrows, no machetes. You're going to give me a child? Instead of an answer, you give me a promise? And then you see him pick it back up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 to 7, which says this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. Now stop here a minute. When people harvested their crops, they would rejoice because they had food. Isaiah says, even a greater rejoicing will come. He continues and he says, the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment ruled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So that's Isaiah's sign to Ahaz, a promise to the future. So here's the deal. Ahaz rejects all the advice and signs. He joins an alliance with Assyria, which backfires later. Ahaz goes crazy, starts offering up sacrifices to different gods, hoping and praying that one of them would come to the rescue. So when it's all said and done, what you have is Ahaz, Jerusalem's king. He ends up leading the people back into idolatry and eventually back into exile. Now, why tell you that information today? Because Ahaz failed the people. 
This happened to the people of God over and over and over all throughout Israel's history. In fact, at the end of Isaiah chapter 8, it tells us that the people looked to the earth and what did they find? Darkness. That's exactly what happens to us. If you look at the establishing of kings in Israel's history, who's the first king? It's a guy named Saul. And how did that work out? Well, that ended up in a train wreck. Saul was not a great king. He failed the people. And then you start getting into people like David. And we go, oh, man, I love David. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I want to have a heart after you. Guess what happened to David, though? He was an adulterer and a murderer. He failed the people. King Uzziah, a couple chapters earlier in the book of Isaiah, you get the record of his death. King Uzziah started off as a God-fearing man, but what happened? He disobeyed God, and he ended up dying of leprosy. And then you have Ahaz, who cannot make a decision for the life of him. And when he finally does, he fails the people. Now, why mention all that to you? Why mention all that to you? Because every king let them down, every one of them. Here's what Isaiah does. He points the people to a king that would never fail, a better king, a true king, a king that would rule his people with great love, affection, and wonderful counsel. He would lead and rule his people rightly. He would be the king that Israel had longed for and waited for. And that king that Isaiah pointed to would become that baby in a manger, Jesus. This morning, I want to look at one other characteristic that Isaiah throws out about this baby that would one day become king. And that characteristic that I want to hit on is this idea of everlasting or eternal father. In the Gospel of John alone, Jesus speaks of the father over 75 times. He even says, by knowing me, you know the father. And the key to understanding this piece that Isaiah talks about is not how God the father and God the son relate to one another, but how Jesus the son would relate to you and to me, to the people. Here's the reality. We all have fathers. I think that's the one common denominator that each of us watching this message this morning shares together. You may know your dad, you may not know your dad, but we all have fathers. And you may not realize this, it's a subtle creep that happens in your life, but what happens is this, the way that your father interacts with you or lack thereof, what happens is you begin to subtly take that reality and you begin to project that back up onto God. The way that your father relates to you, you subtly project that back up onto God. Because earthly fathers should always point us to our heavenly father. So this morning, I wanna give you a couple different categories. If you're taking notes, you could write some of these down. I wanna give you four categories of fathers that I want you to see, four categories of fathers I want you to see this morning. Number one is this, the always could be better dad. The always could be better dad. This is where the son comes home with the report card, right? And on that report card, he's got a B. And he's happy. He is pumped. And dad looks at him and he says, should have been an A. The always could be better dad, right? You know what happens with that situation, though? 
we never know if he's satisfied. We never know if he's satisfied with us. We come home from a basketball game and we go, Dad, I scored 10 points at my game. He looks at you, you know what he says? Should have been 20. Side note, by the way, if I was in school and I came home with a B on my report card, there would be great joy around the home. I'm just telling you, I would have probably got some ice cream or something like that. But here's the deal with the always could be better dad. You never know if you're ever doing enough. So you always feel like you got to do more to earn his approval because that's what you long for, isn't it? The approval of a father. So when you project that back up onto God, you think to yourself, God, have I done enough to satisfy you? We're left in a place of uncertainty. And you start to compare yourself spiritually to other people, and you wonder if God is ever really satisfied with you. That's number one. Number two is this, the angry dad. The angry dad. Angry dad is a time bomb ready to go off. You never really know what to say. You're never really quite sure how to say it. And why is that? It's because his wrath and his anger could explode on you at any minute. Not only is he easily angered, but when he, his fuse gets lit, he begins to speak harsh words to you, tear you down and not really build you back up. Not the Christmas message that we were hoping for this morning. I'm sorry about that. We'll get to the good stuff a little bit later, I promise. So what happens? Well, you live in fear. You begin to withdraw, walk on eggshells with every little word, every little action, and you don't trust him anymore. And without trust, there's no relationship. We all know this. Think about it this way. Imagine your marriage with no trust. That's a terrible relationship, isn't it? You're always wondering when they go out. You're always wondering if they have something up their sleeve. You see, when you lose trust, you lose the relationship. And when you lose the relationship, you begin to distance yourself. So when you project that relationship back onto God, so then you feel like every action or inaction is like lighting the fuse on God's wrath over you. At any moment, God could strike you dead with lightning, and then you begin to not trust God anymore. And then a wedge comes into the relationship. And you begin to start to, to distance yourself. And then you begin to live in fear. And you think to yourself, man, you do just enough to keep God from being mad at you. That's a tough place to be. Number three. Number three is the absent dad. The absent dad. Maybe for some of you, your dad was never really part of your life from the get-go. He was never there. He never showed up to your soccer games. He never showed up to your football games, your baseball games. Never showed up to your school plays, your recitals. Your dad missed some of the biggest events and things in your life. Maybe he wasn't there physically, or maybe he was there physically, but mentally. Every time your family goes out to a meal, he was always on his phone doing business with somebody, doesn't know how to engage in a conversation. It's always, not now, we'll talk later. That begins to get projected back up onto God as well. We begin to think, well, I know God's there, but he's got too many things going on to really care about me. I've got a lot of situations going on, pain, suffering. Where's God now? 
You see, for many of us, we resonate with the fact that God is near, but we don't really believe it. Number four is the awesome dad. The awesome dad. Maybe your dad is awesome. Here's the reality. All of our fathers are fallen. I am far from the perfect dad. I'll be the first one to tell you that, and I realize that. But maybe for you, maybe your dad never missed any of your games ever. Maybe your dad was always there for you. Maybe he was always patient with you, never angry with you. Maybe that's you and perhaps a lot of us watching this today. And that's a good thing. Praise the Lord for that. I think some of us, though, can resonate with each of these categories in some way, shape or form. So here's the deal. All of those categories is what Isaiah is pointing to. It all goes back to Jesus. So here's the deal. Maybe you had always had uh, that always could be better dad. Maybe you had an angry dad. Maybe for some of you, you had an absent dad. That should create in you a longing for something more. Maybe you had an awesome dad. You know what that should do for you though? That should be a shadow of something greater. That's exactly what Isaiah does for us. Isaiah points us to a perfect, eternal, everlasting father. Rather than always could be better dad, you have in Christ one who accepts you fully. You don't have to ever wonder if you've ever done enough to make God happy with you. Because God did enough through his son Jesus that Isaiah talks about in Isaiah chapter 9. He did enough through him on your behalf. That work is done and he is fully satisfied with you in Christ. Jesus is not angry, but rather slow to anger and abounding in love. Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Some of the translations of the Bible use the word steadfast in love. Steadfast, which means unwavering. And what is he unwavering in? Love. Not anger. He's steadfast towards his children in love. And some of you might be watching this thinking, you mean he doesn't discipline us? No, that's not what I'm saying for a second. God disciplines his children. He disciplines those he loves. I'm a father of one and Lord willing, a father of another one in the spring. If I didn't discipline my two and a half year old son, I could just tell you, well, I can't tell you. I don't know what would happen to him. And frankly, I don't want to find out. I don't want to leave him to himself to figure life out on his own. I don't want to not discipline him. I want to discipline him because I love him. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So listen, some of you really need to hear this today. God the Father loves you. The banner he waves over you is not a banner of anger. It's not a banner of wrath. It's a banner of love. And he longs for you to believe it. Grab a hold of it and walk in his love every single day of your life. That's why I tell my son every single day, multiple times a day, I love you. And why do I tell him that? Because I want him to know that as he walks about the day, he is walking in his dad's approval and love. 
When you look at the baby Jesus in the manger, when you look at uh, the book of Matthew, the book of Luke, and you read the story of the one Isaiah points to, you need to hear this. That is God's love toward us. Jesus is not absent. He's always present. Psalm 27 verse 10 tells us, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You see, David lived a life on the run a lot. He felt alone, but he recalled daily the nearness of God the Father. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you believe that? You see, the first advent coming of Christ that Isaiah was pointing to was to rescue us from sin. That was the greatest need of all humanity to be rescued from sin. And God did it through Christ. The second advent, the one that we long for as followers of Jesus, the one that we as believers, we believe for, we wait in anticipation for, that one will relieve us of our suffering. So what does that mean? It means our suffering, your suffering is real because you live in a fallen world. It also means that in the midst of our suffering, instead of drawing back away from God, we would long for God to come. The day that he will come and wipe away every tear from their eye. When the kingdom of God will be restored, we long for that day. Now think about it this way. Sometimes, especially in Northeast Ohio, we have sunny days. Sometimes we have cloudy days. But on those cloudy days, is the sun any further away than it is on a sunny day? On a cloudy day, is the sun any further away than it is on a sunny day? And the answer is obviously no. Now what's changed? I'll tell you what's changed, our perception of the circumstances around us. Here's the deal. You will go through cloudy days. You will have pain. You will have suffering. But the sun has not changed. In fact, as Isaiah says, a light has dawned in your darkness. That's the glory of the manger. That's the glory of salvation. A light has dawned. That's the beauty of Christ. Today, we celebrate the one who left his home and went to a foreign land. And what he didn't have to do, he chose to do. He sent his son to become one of us, to live among us, to come to our turf, to come to your turf, to dwell on our land, to fight on your behalf. Before we knew that we were orphans, Jesus knew that we needed a father. And the father knew that we could not get to him on our own. So he fought, Jesus came, God put skin on and lived with us so that we could live with him. That's the point of this entire sermon series, God with us, Emmanuel. He fought for us then and he fights for us now. See, Christmas isn't just a reminder of what Jesus did. It's a reminder of what he's still doing and that he still fights, how he still pursues, how he does whatever it takes to bring us home, to give us a new name, to give us a new identity. 
and to help us see the Father. That's the gospel. That when we were orphans, God sent his son to bring us back to the Father. Everything is pointing us back to the Father. And your Father loves you. He is not far from you. He came to rescue you, to redeem you, and to reclaim what belongs to him. And that's me, and that's you, and that's his people. The Father, the King, the ruler that we all have been longing for and waiting for. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Well, Father, we thank you for this amazing truth, the truth of Christmas, the truth that you put skin on, became the baby in the manger that would grow to be the man on the cross that would reconcile us back to our heavenly father. Lord, thank you that you came to us when we were orphans, that you adopted us into your family. Lord, I pray for the person watching this today that doesn't know you yet, that hasn't accepted that truth into their heart. I pray that you would do a working in them today and that you would bring them to the end of themselves and that they would come to know you through faith and through repentance, and that they would turn to you and they would accept you and that they would embrace you and that they would follow you and know you as this amazing, perfect, eternal father that we have. Pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Ritman Grace Podcast. If you have questions or would like to know more about our church, please visit www.ritmangrace.org or email us at ritmangbc at aol.com.